Hello, fellow movie lovers, and welcome to Cult Fiction, a podcast where we examine Hollywood's redheaded stepchildren. As a redheaded stepchild myself, I'm Stephanie Johnson. And I'm Andy Bowell. And Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, one and all, to our dear viewers, because we have opened up the crypt for a special impromptu Christmas episode as a bonus and our gift to all of you. And we pulled open the Hollywood crypt in the holiday subsection to uh, review 2003's Bad Santa. Which I didn't hate as much as everyone said I was going to. Everybody, myself, Alex, Mariah, we all were sure you were going to hate this movie. And I was surprised that you did not. It was actually really cute. It was like Mr. Deeds without Adam Sandler. And more people drunkenly pissing themselves, yeah. Is that something that happens? I actually have never seen Mr. Deeds. Mr. Deeds is uh, actually, it's cheesy, but it's good. So like this movie. Uh, This is is the dark ass cheese. (laughs) It's like a like really rotten camembert where you're just like, oh, it's been left out for a minute. This is, yeah, and like nobody wants to eat it or look at it and it kind of smells much like the main character in the film. Kind of smells. Yeah. No one wants to look at him. Definitely smells a little bit like cat piss. Yes. Which is weird because it's all his own piss. Oh, no. Uh, For those of you who missed the movie, and that would be most of you since there was no preface that we were going to be watching it. (laughs) Bad Santa is the story of petty criminal Willie Soak, who, along with his partner Marcus, have a yearly scam where they impersonate a mall Santa and an elf and then case the mall and on the last day uh, completely rob the place and go live off their plunder for a whole year. Well, I wouldn't argue they impersonate a mall Santa and an elf. They are a mall Santa and an elf. Like, they're legitimately hired. They are. They absolutely are. I think it's still fair to say that Billy Bob Thornton impersonates a a mall Santa (laughs) in this film. I don't think he tries that hard, though. He's cursing in front of the children. That's a good point. It's a very bad impersonation. But yeah, so we wanted to do a Christmas episode and I had pulled aside a couple of films of a a holiday variety and ran them by you. And the conversation basically went, you want to watch this? Oh no, I hate that. Do you want to watch this? That exists. Do we want to watch Bad Santa? Yeah, let's watch Bad Santa. Okay. It was, do you want to watch Christmas Story? No, because my father identifies with the Christmas Story far too much. Okay, well, there's also Star Wars A Christmas Movie. The Star Wars Holiday Special. Sure, whatever. We couldn't find that anywhere. And then the last one was Bad Santa, and we were like, yes, okay. So there's a preview on what the next couple Christmases on Cult Fiction are going to look like. Oh, no, I spoiled things. (laughs) Oh, no, my premise, it's broken. Jesus. That's funny now, but actually this is coming out uh, like 
four days after we recorded, so that'll be funny then. Bitch, I'm funny all the time. Yes, but internet meme humor, especially TikTok humor, is like joke of the week at this point. Anyway, Bad Santa. Is there anything sadder than a dive bar at Christmas? Dive bar on Easter. (laughs) Yeah, right. Because at least, like, during Christmas, you've got the excuse that, you know... I've got seasonal depression. It helps to drink. Sure, sure. Or the whole thing of like, oh yeah, my family like doesn't want to see me. So I'm here now. Or any myriad number of reasons. And yet we have our main character, Willie Soak. You said his last name is Soak. Willie Soak. That's appropriate. On the nose. So Willie Soak is drinking in a dive bar and both you and I thought, oh, this is where Lauren Graham's character comes in. Oh no, no. She comes in like half an hour later. Helmst ever. This is when we realize, oh, this poor sap is a Santa Claus at Christmas. And I was so ready to feel bad for Santa because he spends, he has this monologue about how like his dad never really believed in Santa and never mm-hmm. believed in Christmas and he had this rough childhood. And I was like, oh, poor Santa. I feel so bad for him. And then he pisses himself. Yep. And then I was like, oh, no, I don't feel bad for you anymore. <laughs> No, I mean, this is just... So the secret of this movie, not to sell it too high, but the secret of this movie is is it is actually phenomenally well-written, and it is very good. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that comes into just what an unbelievable piece of shit, bad person, Billy Bob Thornton, as Willie, is. Yeah. And I gotta say, I, I didn't... I never knew this. I'd only seen this movie once before, but going in and looking at some of the facts about this movie, the almost played list of Willie Soak is one of the most impressive, like almost played lists I've seen in a long time. So, so initially this was going to be Jack Nicholson. Oh, that's, which I could see. That's very accurate. Yes. I could see 2003 Jack Nicholson kind of like slumming it a little and being in this movie. Um, he was in, he was committed to something else. So then they looked at Bill Murray, who weirdly enough, I cannot see. Oh, see, in I this can. Movie. I can. It would just be a lot less sad and a little more charming. Sure. Like the script still works. It would just be a little less gross. Yeah. I, I think that's the thing is like even at his grossest, which is like Caddyshack, I can't see Bill Murray pissing himself on screen multiple times in a movie. Santa! Yeah. You're bringing my present early? Yeah. But I never told you what I wanted. said I didn't bring it, dipshit. The guy got a blowjob from a ghost. Yeah, but he's also in one of my favorite Christmas movies, Scrooge. And that would have been a really weird overlap. Fair. I'll give you that one just because he also looks a little too close to real life Santa. Yeah. So, okay. Well, speaking of looks like real life Santa, we also almost had Larry David who looks nothing like a real life Santa. And that would have been weird, but I can't see him being Santa. I can see Dennis Leary doing this in kind of the same, oh, you're a piece of shit, aren't you? Kind of way as Billy Bob Thornton. Um, And then rounding it out, we almost- Old Saint Nick's got bourbon breath. It's so cold you could catch your death. A cop sold me some crystal meth. It's a merry fucking Christmas. Had James Gandolfini, who would have been writing the early high of being on The Sopranos and playing Tony Soprano. 
and Robert De Niro. You want to talk about slumming it. <laughs> Robert De Niro would have made no sense at all. Robert De Niro would have made no sense at all. But the weird thing is Robert De Niro at some point just stopped giving a fuck and was in like movies like Bad Grandpa and all this like comedy on the same level. I'm sorry, Bad Grandpa. So that's not a misnomer. There's a movie called Bad Grandpa that Robert De Niro is in. There's a movie called Bad Grandpa Robert De Niro's in and I remember the scene from the trailer. There's an extended sequence where him and Aubrey Plaza are talking around the idea of her giving him a blowjob with like sunscreen metaphors. <laughs> anyway, so back to Bad Santa. I like how that stunned you more than almost anything in the movie. No, the movie itself, like, yeah, it has toilet humor. Yeah, one of the main characters um, vomits in a trash can within the first five minutes. So, like, never am I ever watching this with Mo. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's just enough charming. There was one point in the movie where I was like, oh, fuck this guy. And it was sure. the advent calendar scene. Right. No, I talked about how the secret of this movie is it's actually really well written. And that is just so intrinsically hinged on these characters being all mostly good people and then you just have like what if santa was the actual worst what if santa was a fall down drunk and people were just orbiting around him trying to have some level of christmas spirit and it just like dies around him so it's like the first 10 minutes of the Santa Claus. Just, it never gets better. Yeah. Or it's uh, it's what the Grinch wanted before his heart grew three sizes too big. Fair enough. So why does Christmas have a lot of grumpy people? Oh, well, I think because it, it, it is a holiday that is so perceived in the joy and Mm. the joyful time and the bright unadulterated exuberance and enthusiasm and then you've got like half of the people who aren't in that emotional spectrum anyway and then you've got another chunk of people who are very jaded and cynical and look at it all as like a corporate like cash grab but your heart and I mean, Christmas isn't of itself a very like divisive, depressing holiday. So I'm not surprised this movie eventually got made. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of main characters, wanted to bring up a returning to cult fiction from not too long ago. Uh, you know, Billy Bob Thornton's partner in crime is Marcus, and Marcus is played by Tony Cox, who was in the Fantastics. He was in the background. But he was one of the circus performers who, it also means he is part of the Circus Actors Guild of America or whatever that society was called. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, Tony Cox is a delightful performer and he's been like in a bunch of stuff in like these kind of background roles or like very stereotypical roles. He's a uh, a leprechaun in Leprechaun Back to the Hood. <laughs> what? Oh, uh, there's like seven leprechaun movies and two of them are central around being in the Hood. Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. But this is like one of the mm, biggest roles I know that he's ever had and he gets so much to do. You stick you in my ass, small fry. Yeah? You sure it ain't too sore from last night? You got some lip on you, Midget. 
where these lips were on your wife pussy last night. Why don't you dust that thing off once in a while? Yeah. You know, one thing I appreciate is Tony Cox gets a lot of the best lines in this movie when he verbally abuses, justifiably verbally abuses his partner in crime, calling him things like an emotional fucking cripple. Yikes. I'm also here for the alternate movie in which our main character is master thief Tony Cox breaking into malls and using his stature as a little person to extreme effect while dragging along a, a bumbling drunk cover story kind of Santa. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, the other thing, and I didn't even realize this until like I saw their credit and was like, wait, what the hell? Also returning to cult fiction, Cloris Leachman, America's grandma. <laughs> No, where? Playing grandma. <gasps> no. Yes. I did not recognize her. Neither did I. She's uncredited in the role. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh all she does is wants to make sandwiches. All she does is want to make sandwiches. She plays a great fake dead. And so between this and Beavis and Butthead... I think we are realizing that Cloris Leachman just has like this twisted, dark, like people give her roles and she reads the script and goes, this is fucking stupid. I'm in. (laughs) That's wonderful. Oh, I love that. I do too. I was very happy to see that. This movie is filled with, oh my God, it's blank. Well, like, we have Alex Borstein. Alex Borstein with a one-line cameo in, like, the first ten minutes. She's blonde, too, which is so bizarre. She's blonde. She is doing the Lois Griffin voice. Uh Uh-huh. And I think at this point, it was, like, right after Family Guy got canceled the first time. Oh, sure. So, I I, I can see that, but it it was a joy to see Alex Borstein and go, Oh, my God, Alex Borstein, I can't wait for you to win an Emmy in Mrs. Maisel. Um, 20 years from now. <laughs> 20 years from now. Yeah, literally. Um, this had a pre-anything Octavia Spencer. I know. And she was the um, she was the hooker that Willie, like, asked, hey, who's going through my stuff? And she's like, I don't know, some guy. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, my God, Octavia Spencer. I can't wait for you to win an Oscar in, like, 19 years. Yeah. And then this was a personal one for me, but, oh, my God, it's Ethan Phillips from Star Trek. <laughs> Oh my god. You know what? I will give you that because the entire premise of me agreeing to watch this was, oh, it's Lauren Graham from Gilmore Girls. So, like, I can give you your Star Trek reference. Sure. Which, so let's get into that. (laughs) You have talked at length with me, I think on this show and extensively off it, about your love of Gilmore Girls. Uh Uh-huh. About how it's one of your favorite shows. Sure. I yes. Mean, it, unless I'm wrong. No, I mean, I think it was a, it's more of a foundational show than one of my favorite shows. Okay, it's like, fair enough. if you're going, it's not necessarily a favorite, but if it's like, if you're going to understand who I am as a person, you should probably see at least three episodes of the show. Okay. Right. So we've talked about that. Yeah. And I know Lauren Graham was like a big selling point to you watching this movie with me. Correct. And that's just so great because. This is the only thing I've ever seen Lauren Graham in. (laughs) Okay. And I'll double down on that by mentioning the only thing I've seen Alexis Bledel in is Sin City. Sure. So. 
So very on point, very accurate. I will say there's like, there's so many things that I was like, oh, I recognize that facial expression really well. I recognize that tick really well. But also one thing I noticed is that her voice is higher in this role. Mm-hmm. And not because she's of a different age. Like, it's not like she's younger. She's just purposefully putting it higher because this is that character. It's not right. like her typical voice range. And I was like, oh, she's playing it like she's broken, which is appropriate because this character is fucking broken. The character of Lauren Graham, who it's in the IMDb that the character's name is Sue, but it's like a trivia point that her name is never spoken because Billy Bob Thorne is just kind of like, hey, you... Yeah, she's Mrs. Santa's sister. She's Mrs. Santa's sister. That's right. (laughs) Um, She is... It it adds to the darkness in this movie about how she is completely broken in some core way that is like so much more insidious than anything else. Like Billy Bob broke Billy Bob Thornton is an emotional crippled drunk. Tony Cox's Marcus is a career criminal who at the end of the day decides I need to shoot my partner in the head and kills a guy in the movie. Yep. Uh, John Ritter's character is like weirdly, overtly non-sexual PG-13 to the point where like, okay, something happened to you, guy who owns a mall. (laughs) Thurman Merman is tragic. I love him. He's so beautiful. He is pure and innocent in the way a Christmas movie presents its kid to be and that is in and of itself part of the perversion and twistedness of bad santa as you have this character trope just bashing its head against the metaphorical wall that is billy bob thornton's ice cold heart mm-hmm. and then you have lauren graham who first of all has low enough standards and a santa kink to want to engage in a romantic relationship with Willie, but then sees, like, the home he's living in, understands, like, okay, there's no father figure here, there's no parental figure, there's a grandma who I walked in and thought was dead. Okay. So, how to put this? I don't... There are several comments made about Thurman Merman where it's very clear he either has developmental differences or everyone thinks he has developmental differences. Right. I don't think he's the only one. I think Lauren Graham's character might also share that trait because there's a couple of times where I'm like, hold on, are you well? Right. Because there is, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance in her and not just because she's sad and broken and has a Santa kink. You know what? Let me not yuck anyone's yum. Santa kink's perfectly valid. Understand 100%. And the movie actually makes a really valid point of her saying, like, it's a childhood thing. I never got to have Christmas because my dad was Jewish. And so I grew up dreaming of this idea of this perfect day where it's all fixed. Mm. So that makes sense to me. But also, there's a point where Thurman Merman is making popcorn strands and he already has like a counter full of popcorn and she comes over and pours an obscene amount of more popcorn and I'm like I don't know that you're there 
Right. It's either that or it is the movie continuing to do the thing where it's like, here's what you do. Here's what you see in a Hallmark Christmas movie. The fabulous montage where everyone's decorating. Only our fabulous montage is Lauren Graham, like, not reading the situation and pouring too much popcorn on the table. And also, like, as she's hanging ornaments her boyfriend is like grabbing her ass and pulling her skirt down she's like oh stop yeah yeah i think there's something to like there's a lot of talk around inherited trauma so like lauren graham talks about her dad and how she couldn't you know have christmas and so she makes sure that thurman merman has like the biggest and best christmas right and then there's also how billy bob thornton is like yeah my dad never had christmas if my dad saw me getting beat up at school he'd beat me up and he kind of projects a little bit of that onto thurman merman but just enough to like make Thurman Merman a good kid and it like kind of breaks his emotional trauma cycle a bit yeah talking about Lauren Graham and talking about Lauren Graham's dad made me think which is the sadder childhood parental Christmas story Lauren Graham never being able being allowed to celebrate Christmas or Phoebe Cates figuring out there is no Santa Claus (laughs) Oh, yes, you mean that, Phoebe Cates? (laughs) I don't know. Didn't her dad, like, get stuck in a fucking fireplace and, like, decompose in their... That one! That one's sadder, bub! (laughs) Oh, I know. I just wanted to bring it back up to everybody's attention. We totally, like... We watched Gremlins and, like, commented, oh, yeah, I guess this is a Christmas movie. We watched Tangerine and we're like, oh, yeah, I guess this is a Christmas movie. And now, like, over two years into this project, this this show, we're finally doing a bona fide Christmas episode. <laughs> so I'm feeling a need to, like, pull out some callbacks. <laughs> so, okay, you asked, is this the darkest Christmas movie ever? And, um... One of my coworkers this week sent me a like Christmas movie alternate reading article mm. on BuzzFeed. So this is a very dark Christmas movie. It could be the darkest. Unless you believe in the alternate reading of Home Alone. <laughs> How much do you know about the alternate reading of Home Alone? Because I learned about it for the very first time this week. So stop me where I get this wrong, but isn't it the idea that Kevin McAllister intentionally made sure that he got left behind and is exhibiting serial killer prodigious tendencies as he tortures two adult men in his home. So arguably darker um, that Catherine O'Hara's Catherine O'Hara? Yes. That her character is experiencing trauma after her child dies and the entire movie is her experiencing trauma from her dead son and trying to get home and if she just gets home on time her dead son will be there waiting for her and the entire movie is just in her head oh that's so much worse Right? Okay. I was like, well, now I now I can't watch Home Alone in the same way again. 
Well, there's always the brand new Home Alone remake. No, starring... you shut your whore mouth. You sh- no, no, not in my house. Fair enough. <laughs> in this house, there is only one Home Alone. We'll see if that becomes a cult classic, and uh, we watch it in a later year. I kind of doubt it because streaming has made cult a very hard term to come by. Oh, that means eventually this podcast will end. Eventually. Eventually, but we have like 300 and God forsaken yeah, how many we've, movies. We've got like 12 years of content, so. Jesus fuck. Well, <laughs> that's all for this. No, I'm kidding. Somebody drop you on your fucking head? On my head? Well, yeah, what are they going to drop you on somebody else's head? How can they drop me onto my own head? No, not onto your own. Uh, God damn it. Are you fucking with me? Oh, man. Um, Yeah, so you kind of touched on this a little bit. This movie came out in 2003. And even as it is very well written, it had some of the cultural trappings of 2003. Like... Social justice, one, two, three. I want to be PC. It's just the way to be for me. Like how this movie absolutely did not age well in excessive use of the uh, R word Mm -hmm. to describe Thurman and a couple other people within the movie. Um, There's a very weird, and I feel like it, it tied into like a director's cut in some way, but there's a very like impromptu, homophobic, gay panic sequence that never goes anywhere. The guy who beats him up in the parking lot because he thinks oh, he's yeah. making eyes at him. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. then you never get anything from that again. It's almost it's almost an excuse to get Thurman and Willie in the same car, but like you could have gone that way. You could have gone about that several different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, you know, there are um, the amount of fat phobic and jokes at the expense of people's size. There's also, I mean, there's very casual racism. Right. There's, yes, there's a little person and very few little person jokes are made, but there are a couple. The one thing, and and not to defend any of it, but I guess also to, to, to say also... I think this movie, in a surprising manner, manages to make jokes about weight and about stature that actually hit and land well. Mm -hmm. Most of them because of the people making them being a part of that marginalized group. Like you have the overweight security guard grumbling about how like he should have been mall Santa because he ate like he gained like 30 pounds to be in the role. Tony Cox, you know, makes a lot of jokes not even necessarily at his own expense, but like, I can't do that. I'm three feet tall. Yeah. And there is the scene where um, the mall manager almost fires them. Right. And they make it about, you really want to fire a little person of color? Like, really? That's what you want to do? Good on you. All right. You're brave. So this movie manages to walk a line while still being irrevo- irrevocably um, stuck in the time period in which yeah. it was made. 
One thing that I think is interesting, I, I kind of can't get over how much I enjoy all the little touches and all the little writing in the script. This is a Christmas movie with no snow. Well, yeah, it's in Arizona. Yeah. But, like, the thematic implication. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Because there's, there's the opening scene where they're somewhere else. Mm-hmm. There's the scene where you see Willie's life in Miami, which is, you know, farcical and sad and kind of just a punchline. And then, yeah, the rest of the movie takes place in Arizona. But, like, it's so appropriate that this is a Christmas movie that dances around the concepts of Christmas movie without there ever being a single even snowflake. Instead, you've got Luminaria, which is a thing I'd never heard of until seeing this movie. (laughs) Really? Yeah, really. Okay. I was unaware of it as a tradition. Well, so I think that's like part of the culture thing of like, oh, it's Luminaria. We have to make the snow. It's fake for the point of being fake. And it's like perpetuated Christmas. Mm. And Willie's character is like, no, we don't do that. We're. And this is another way it didn't age well. He's like, we're Muslim or whatever. Right. Is the actual line. And he kind of like rolls his eyes at the idea. Um, And then it's somehow made about Thurman Merman. Like, oh, well, don't you want your kid to experience Christmas? Everyone in the neighborhood is doing it. And he's like, oh, motherfuck. Okay. All right. You know what? Fucking fine. We'll do the thing. We'll do the stuff. Right. And it's the falsehood and the pressure put on Christmas, which this movie comments on a lot. Yeah, because this is this is still like this focuses on the material. This fo- even even in its positive aspects, this focuses on the consumerism of Christmas. Yeah, in so many ways, this is like the ultimate anti-Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. It perverts in some ways, literally, all of the tropes and thematic trappings you're supposed to have in Christmas movies. I feel like I know the answer. Have you seen Eight Crazy Nights? No. Speaking of Adam Sandler films, it is an animated Adam Sandler Hanukkah movie. <laughs> okay. Which still, it plays in a, in very much the same space as Bad Santa with a lot of toilet humor and the main character being just an absolute asshole. And it's still, at the end of that movie pulls all of the terribly affecting pathos emotionally redeeming character beats Mm -hmm. that even this movie barely does Mm -hmm. all we the audience want is to see willie become a father figure and be kind to thurman because we're programmed for that to be like a cathartic mm-hmm. dynamic trope you see in films and he just can't mm-hmm. you you see him destroy Thurman's advent calendar <sighs> to have you know the momentary gratification of a mouthful of chocolate and then you're sitting there being like okay 
well, it's going to become clear that that got destroyed and he's going to feel bad and he will probably get a new advent calendar. And he doesn't even do that. He chillily tapes it together and puts in candy corn and Tylenol and just whatever he can instead of the candy. He does the absolute bare minimum. I don't know. Like, it takes a lot of effort to find a candy corn in December. Fair. <laughs> that probably came out of his cup holder. Oh, gross. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So what, uh, what Christmas tradition do you have where you're like, well, that's just fucking forced. Oh, interesting. Um... Because there's so much in this movie that it does where it's like, well, that's a forced tradition. Let's question it. Right. Sure. Even uh, Bernie Mac, who we barely talked about, does a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, in my own life, gosh, there used there was a family tradition that everybody sit down and watch Peter, Paul and Mary, the Christmas album. Oh, yeah. That is... Okay, I'm... White. White, white, white. And that is the whitest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) It eventually got supplanted with Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, so... Oh, yeah, that's totally a Christmas movie. That makes no sense. No, even... um... Even as a little kid, I was like, I have zero desire to be watching the Peter, Paul, and Mary Christmas special. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. I'm, I'm out. I'm going to go stare at the boxes of presents that are wrapped under the tree instead of pay attention to this. <laughs> I've always had a thing for um, Santa Claus, in case you didn't notice. It's like some deep-seated childhood thing. So's my thing for tits. Yeah, it is like that, though, you know, from when you're a kid. <laughs> when, like, that would have been a moment to, like, have a warm-hearted familial connection with my family. Mm. Um, I will say, in recent years, I've been finding kind of the tradition of seeking out holiday media, whether you've seen it or not, because they're, you know, Christmas movies boil down to, I've seen it a million times. It's a classic and I've, it's brand new. And therefore I, I've never seen it before. And especially with like Netflix doing like the entire Hallmark subgenre. <laughs> yeah. It's really becoming like a thing to find Christmas trash. Mm-hmm. And some of the Christmas trash is actual like garbage. Like I oh, remember yeah. last year, uh, Hulu came out with, I don't even remember the name, but it was a Christmas movie that was centered around the idea of like Kristen Stewart coming out to her girlfriend's family. And that was actually, that wound up being a bad movie. <laughs> so like what, where I'm getting with all this is like the idea of, oh, let's watch this. It'll be Christmassy and therefore it will be good and like wholesome when that's not actually the case. Mm-hmm. What about you? Oh, my family did Advent calendars and while the idea of Advent in and of itself is fine with me, like the whole concept of like actually reading the story of the Bible, like that never landed with me. The chocolate mm. part. Like, sure. 
dope. Sure. But the whole idea of like taking in a narrative that I've heard a bajillion times before, I was like, this is fine, I guess. So that was a point in the movie you could resonate with. When, but like, like deeply personal. Well, that's why I brought it up was because yeah. I was like, this echoed a little too deeply because you could tell like he didn't know what was going to happen next. And I was like, how do you not know what's going to happen next, kid? Have you not? Oh, no, your parents aren't missionaries. Okay. Well, also, and like there is no mention of Thurman Merman's mom. at all in the movie and I actually appreciate this back to the writing it's never clear what his dad did just that he earned a roughly three year long prison sentence so probably some sort of white collar tax evasion look at his house yeah look at his house look at his car yeah absolutely (laughs) um and and yeah, so Thurman's parents and lack of any true parental figure beyond a presumably dementia-ridden woman who does nothing but make sandwiches. I wanted the sandwiches to like mean something. Have deeper meaning because like finally Willie agrees to have a sandwich, and I was like, maybe the sandwich. I kind of wanted it to be like a banana stand situation sure. where like he was like do you want a sandwich like wink wink and no it's just a no what do you want on your sandwich i don't i don't fucking know lettuce what do you whatever you put on sandwiches <laughs> it was very cute it, it is and and i can't say it enough i think this movie works as well as it does when Willie does not have a legitimate good person change of heart until the very final possible moment. The movie started to be like really treasurable to me when he was standing in front of all of the elephants and he's like, right. which one did he want? Cause originally he said purple and is it, he said purple then pink or pink then purple. And I was like, you care. <laughs> This movie became treasured for me in the scene where Santa tries to unalive himself. <laughs> and then he, pu- he he decides not to do an unalive because the kid has a black eye. And he's like, the fuck happened to your eye? And that's when he like rolls down the yeah, window and yeah. lets out all the carbon monoxide because he's like, oh, well, now I have to go beat up your bully. Now I have to go beat up a teenager as a like <laughs> 50-year-old man. <laughs> Pro tip, he's actually 30. It's just the alcohol. You know, I actually, I would buy that. That makes a lot of sense. Oh, well, speaking of things that make a lot of sense, there's not a lot that makes a lot of sense about this movie, but it did earn some Oscars. It absolutely did. Would you like to share yours? I would like to share mine very much. You know, every movie we watch on Cult Fiction we feel like deserves at least a couple of Oscars. Um, And I would like to give Bad Santa, I've talked about it, kind of danced around the topic. I would like to give Bad Santa the Oscar for bare minimum amount of affecting character growth in a protagonist. (laughs) For everything we've talked about, for the fact that Willie just cannot be bothered he is belligerent and nasty and unkind and never changes 
until the very last moment when he's like, oh, shit, I got to get a kid. I got to get the kid a gift. And I don't even think in Willie's mind it becomes that big of a deal until Marcus pulls a gun on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and until the cops are there and until, like, this movie requires Billy Bob Thornton getting shot in the back eight times and getting blood all over the present to make it, like, give him that redemptive I'm dragging myself up the driveway moment that makes you go, okay, okay, you are, okay, you are, you are good. Also, there's your thematic symbolism in that both Willie and Thurman's presence had their own blood on them. Their blood family. Their found family. Yeah. Which is better than blood family in many ways. <laughs> Aw, I like that. Yeah. That's a good Oscar. Thank you. What was yours? <laughs> My Oscar was for how this movie made me re-examine the word half. How do you mean? The word half. <laughs> there is an entire scene of Bernie Mac saying half. And he says it so many times. Oh, that's one of the best scenes. (laughs) He says it so many times that, like, I started reevaluating how that word was spelled because I was like, hold on. Half. 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 Okay, that is... It's it's the thing where you see a, a word or hear a yeah. word so many times it's it ceases to have all meaning. Yeah. But thank you for tying it into that because like Bernie Mac is so good in this movie. <laughs> He's so good. And one of my favorite things it is so very clear that like part of his agreement to doing the movie was I'm gonna get to do whatever I want. Oh my god. Yeah. And they were like, okay, and Brandon Mac was great. I want my character to be drinking stool softener and eating oranges, like, incessantly. And I want to have random scenes in all the different mall stores. And then I'm going to give you one of the best scenes where I only say one word ever. Good job. The yeah. end. Yeah. It's, kudos to Bernie Mac. And then kill me so I don't have to be in the sequel. <laughs> I thought he died of natural causes. I meant how they killed him in the movie. Oh! Oh, oh no! But yes! Rest in peace, Bernie Mac. Rest in peace, John Ritter. <laughs> oh, that is such an on-brand moment for me. Well, um, that was appropriately dark for this movie, so good job. Yay me! You know what is also appropriate for this podcast? What? Kevin Bacon. Yay! So this uh, can be done in one. Take it away. And the one that this can be done, and um, avid listeners, so like Chris and Matthew, maybe you guys can remember this and know this, both Billy Bob Thornton and Kevin Bacon are in Jane Mansfield's car. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. Well, you got that one over me because I got nothing. I think I will take it. Yeah. That is my Christmas gift. There you go. Merry Christmas. (laughs) In this um, crazy movie, did you manage to find any Christmas quotes? 
Yeah, I'm just going to say it very not how it's said in the movie. Uh, I like your hat. I like the hat. I like the hat. Wherein Lauren Graham is fucking Billy Bob Thornton right. in a car and moaning that the hat needs to stay on because it's part of it for her. So what what be the what about that quote is better to you than fuck me Santa, fuck me Santa, fuck me Santa? <laughs> There's no way to get around it. It's how high pitched she says it. Because when she says "fuck me, Santa," "fuck me, Santa," "fuck me, Santa," it's not high pitched. It's just like fast and low. Sure. When she says "I like the hat," it's very. It is how you're how the listeners are hearing it. It's just it is that high pitch. I'm not gonna do it. Fair enough. I wouldn't ask you to. <laughs> uh, mine there. There's a. It's it's. I don't know why I like this moment so much, but there's a moment where the original mall Santa in the Phoenix Mall gets fired. Uh-huh. And he's like arguing with John Ritter for the right to have his job. He's like, this guy doesn't even look at Santa. Look at me, I do Burl Live songs for Christ's sake. Well, that's why it's funny. Because I couldn't fucking tell you who Burl Ives is. Through context, I understand he is some, like, Christmas singer, some famous crooner. But the fact that this guy is trying to sit there and be like, I do these songs. Oh, my God, Burl Ives is the guy who sang and wrote Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. He's... He is the snowman with a goatee in all of the Rankin and Bass movies. Okay, but we need to say his whole name. Burl Eichel Ivanhoe Ives. Respect. Well, now I have a different reason why I enjoy Burl Ives being quoted in this movie. Because that is an amazing name. Oh my god, he's so cute. He is very Santa Clausy. He is very Santa Clausy. Anyway, it's it's a throwaway line. It's a random obscure thing, which is probably why I like it so much because like that is my shit. The more random and obscure the humor is. Um and yeah, that is my quote. Yay. Well, I think we already know what our next movie is because this was a random sojourn down. Let's do a Christmas episode, Lane. Yeah, this was let's do a Christmas episode in conjunction with a conversation about, hey, do you want to watch that two and a half hour long Armenian genocide movie this weekend? And you were like, no, no, it's the middle of December. Let's do a Christmas episode. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is I'm a handful. What I'm hearing is we're going to start our year merry and bright by debunking the debunking of the Armenian genocide. Sure. Sure. Okay. Well, that's all for this edition of Cult Fiction. If you want to keep up, you can follow us on Twitter at Cult Fiction Cast. And you can also rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll close the clip for now. And for once, no joke about the next episode, but we want to instead wish you all a happy holidays. For Stephanie Johnson, I've been Andy Bowell. Hey.